What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 101 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com. And you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we will talk about what we've been eating, answer a listener question, go over some interesting news stories, and then move on into our main discussion of the week, why misanthropy is bad for veganism. You know, we didn't even decide to ask the question, Paul. We just have an opinion, and we're going to state it this time. <laughs> this is something that I have a very strong opinion on, and I was—I said, Andy, no joking around with this. <laughs> we don't want to lead anybody on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that, Paul. Yes, Andy? My ears seem to hear something a little different at the beginning of today's episode. They do. Uh, we have a new intro song. We figured, hey... We're on the other side of 100 now. Uh, might as well switch things up a little bit. So big shouts out to my friend Alex Katz for helping us put together uh, this wonderful new intro song. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. It's something we've been wanting to do for quite a while, actually. Just the the Dead Press song didn't seem to fit us as a podcast anymore. It felt weird to be using someone else's work. Even though we're not a podcast that makes money, it still felt like a little weird for us to be doing that. So we finally have our own unique intro music, and I'm really Great. excited about that. And it, everything's going to be okay, everybody. Change is good. Change is good. This is like every time Facebook changes something, everyone <laughs> complains about it for a week, and then everyone's like, all right, it is It is better. You win, Facebook. <laughs> yes, it is. So, anyways, Andy, what have, you, what have you been eating? Well, Paul, you know, we were both at the Vegan Food and Drink Festival on Randall's Island in New York City last weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I, I gotta say... Despite the fact that it's not the easiest place to get to, I really enjoyed this event. 13,000 people came out. It sold out. And uh, unfortunately, that means very long lines. But we were vendors, so we just sort of grabbed food as quickly as possible and shoved it in our faces while we were working. Very busy day. I have to say my two favorites of the day were Freakin' Vegan, and I I love their stuff. I think we've talked about them before, but their cheesesteak empanada is something special. I think it's absolutely delicious. <laughs> they really nail the flavors, love the cheesiness, love all the, the grilled peppers and onions inside of it. So it is just mm, perfection. And Andy, I'm, I'm predicting cheesecake empanadas in our future as well. I believe so. I believe so. <laughs> we may be talking about those next weekend for the old New Jersey Veg Fest. And then uh, the other place that I just want to mention is chickpea and olive. I've never actually had their stuff before. I know that they're in New York City, but they've just never been at an event that I've been doing. And so we finally got to try them. They were just a couple tables down from us, and they were just selling this chicken fried tofu sandwich. And they had a couple varieties. They had a buffalo. They had um, the Nashville style, which was kind of just like dried, like fried chicken. Not that it was a dry sandwich, but no sauce on it. And then they also had one that had a sweet barbecue sauce on it, which is of course the one that I got. And we got all three at once for all of us that were working at the table. And I was the last person to eat. So some time had gone by and it was still 
so crunchy and crispy. I don't know how they worked that magic, but it was <laughs> it was so good. I had to get one at the end of the day. Somehow they managed to not sell out at the very end, so we were lucky to grab some more on our way out. But yeah, it was chickpea and olive, highly recommend. So good, Andy. You you described us eating, having to grab food as quickly as possible and shove it in our mouths as quickly as possible. You're describing how I normally eat food anyways, <laughs> but, um, but I was lucky enough to try the Impossible Burger finally, which f- I was surprised had one of the, the shorter lines at the, at the event, which was one, one of my main attractions besides wanting to try it anyways. I was not going to wait more than 20 minutes for it, and some of these lines were probably an hour or two long. Uh, but yeah, finally tried the Impossible Burger. Uh, I, I would like to try it a second time because it did not blow me away as much as it has blown away some other people. Uh, it was good. It was good. It tasted a little more realistic than the Beyond Burger, I would say. But not from your descriptions, Andy. I, I feel like the way that you described it was like much better than the Beyond Burger. I thought it was just a little bit better than the Beyond Burger. Um, and again, it does totally taste like like I th- I do agree with you that it would fool anyone that you gave it to without context that it was real meat um it it made the whole our whole booth smell like meat but it was good it was good i would say if you get a chance to try it out and you're into that sort of thing try it out but don't pay (laughs) try not to pay as much as i paid for it i don't know if that's possible yet but uh it's not inexpensive (laughs) yeah they definitely jacked up the price at the vegan food and drink fest it was twenty dollars for a burger um this was being served by bear burger also known as bear burger and (laughs) I have been to the Bear Burger location. I believe all of them serve the Impossible Burger. If not, they've been expanding to most of their locations. They started in New York, but I believe they have locations in a number of different cities. And I was really excited to get it from Bear Burger because they served it as a much thicker patty than Momofuku Nishi, where I first got it. But I actually liked it better at Momofuku Nishi because they cooked it and got it a little bit crispy. And mm. so something about that just just made it better. I don't know if they added some extra seasoning to it, but uh, I definitely liked it better from Momofuku Nishi. So hopefully Bear Burger gets their act together. I have We went after the fest and got it from Bear Burger, their actual location. <laughs> I still think it's great. I love it. Uh, and actually, there was recently some news that Bear Burger is going to open an entirely vegan location which is pretty exciting. And more exciting is that within their that article, it was listed that they were going to start reducing the amount of meat available on their menu in general. Because I guess they've kind of made their name by serving these quote-unquote exotic meats, ostrich, buffalo, what have you. And they're going to start experimenting with like jackfruit and tofu and tempeh. So... Bear Burger, awesome. they see they see the writing on the wall. They know what's coming, so that's really cool. I'm excited to see that chain yeah. expand into more meatless options because, in general, it's a pretty cool experience. It's very much a build-your-own-burger type of place. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, the Impossible Burger. I do have to say, Paul, we were inundated with Beardos at this fest, and it was a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. Beautiful Beardos. Beautiful, beautiful Beardos. So thank you very much <laughs> quickly, too. Rachel, Lauren, Molly, Natasha, Leticia, Carlotta, Julia, Ashley, Natalie, Al from Vegan Food Share, Meg, and most importantly, Paul, Nora the Peanut. Most importantly. A lot of names ending in A. Yes, yes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, Nora the Peanut, real nice treat at the end of the day. It's a beautiful, beautiful pup. 
And you can see a picture of us and uh, Meg and Nora hanging out on our Instagram. Also, the day before, I was at the Phoenixville Veg Fest, and I just wanted to give shout-outs to Christine as well as Josh and Steph, who are a different Josh and Steph than the ones we've mentioned on the show. Uh, they gifted <laughs> me with some hot sauce from Flavor, Fire, and Flowers. And it was I've tried one of them so far. It was great. Yeah, no, I, I got a chance to talk to them, too. They're super, super nice. Um, they were just giving out some... In addition to selling the hot sauce, they were just giving out samples of, of free vegan food, which was also cool. It was cool, and it was delicious, too. So big props. Yeah. And, Paul, you eat anything delicious this past week? Anything tasty, perhaps? Um, yes, actually. In addition to my Impossible Burger, I uh, I went to the Tasty, which I've been to before, and uh, th- I've I've realized that where the, the stars of the Tasty, the stars of the show of the Tasty, you know what I'm trying to say, Andy? Is what um, are you trying to say, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> the I've I've realized that the best things dishes that the Tasty has to offer are when they have these specials, and the specials are so good. I think I've talked about it before, but one time they had a Benedict Arnold that was so good. Um, and I've only had it once and I'm bummed that, that I've, I haven't seen it since, but to the, uh, this past time I went, they had this special tater tot bowl cause they normally serve tater tots as a, as a side dish, but they had this big old tater tot bowl and on top there was soy chorizo. There was scrambled tofu. There was some like chipotle mayo sauce on it. There was jalapenos. It was delicious. It was spicy. It was, it was so good, Andy. And the, um, I got this at, I think I was there at one o'clock in the afternoon and I asked the guy, I was like, is this like substantial? Is this like food food or is this just a side dish? And the guy was like, you're going to be full for the rest of the day. And I was like, (laughs) I don't think you know how much food I normally eat. So I ordered this, I ate it and Andy, I did not eat for the rest of the day and was still full into the next morning. It was a lot of food. So, uh, big, big props to that, to them. That was amazing. Paul, you you had me at tater tots. (laughs) No, it was it was great. There was a lot of flavors. Very, very good. And one last food thing that I did want to mention is we were sent some shroom snack by Jewels of the Forest, which is a mushroom jerky. And we got the sesame and the sweet chili flavor. And so we also got to scarf those down <laughs> in between customers at the Vegan Food and Drink Fest. And I am I am like a mushroom convert. Like I am someone that used to hate and despise any and all mushrooms. And now I'm like pretty firmly on the pro mushroom side of the board. <laughs> and so I, I was really curious to try these because every now and then there's still things that have mushrooms in them. And they're like too mushroomy for me. And I was like, this feels like it's going to be overwhelmingly mushroomy. And I got to say, it was actually quite pleasant. Um, I, I think particularly I liked the sweet chili one. And what I liked most about these was the texture. Like, it reminded me of, and I I mean this in the most endearing way possible, like the gas station jerky that's, like, really tough and chewy. I used mm-hmm. to love that stuff so much. And this, <laughs> this texture-wise just reminded me of that. And it's definitely something I'd pick up again. Yeah, I have, I have no idea how, like, dehydrating foods blows my mind about how, how much it changes their consistency but i don't know how they got it that that toughness but it was like very tough and and like you said andy i also enjoyed that a lot there's nothing like a good tough jerky it's a good like driving snack if you're like driving late at night and you need something to keep your mind occupied and you're just like ripping at some jerky so yeah definitely i hope to get some more of this in my future as well so uh thank you jewels of the forest for that delicious treat 
and you can check them out at shroomjerky.com. Yeah. All right, Paul. So we did our mailbag episode last episode, and at the end of it, we were like, we are way over time, and we still have a bunch of questions to go, and we discussed the possibility of starting to sprinkle in these listener questions throughout our regular episodes so that the mailbags aren't so heavily loaded, and they'll be a little more fun for us anyway. So we're going to start that tradition right now. And so our, our first question comes from plant-based underscore health on Instagram. And the question was, what do you think the best form of activism is? I recently partook in the cube of truth and I was blown away by how effective it was. And uh, this is a pretty loaded question, pause. I feel like so much of our show is dedicated to becoming better activists and uh, mm-hmm. assessing various forms of activisms or events and things that come our way. And we kind of make our little judgment. Do we think this is good or bad? Um, what say you, what do you think is the <laughs> best form of activism? So I have two, my answer is two pronged. The first prong is that I believe that the best form of activism is going to be different for different individuals. I think as individuals, we have different strengths and weaknesses. Some people are more outgoing, uh, whereas other people are more reserved. So I think my first answer is the best form of activism is going to be personalized for you. And it's going to, it's going to play off what your strengths are. So if you are someone that does not like to, you know, like have conversations with random strangers doing that sort of thing, doing these like super public types of activism probably isn't your thing. Um, not that, not to say that there isn't benefit in sometimes putting yourself out of your comfort zone, but if you are regularly doing that, it can be very, very taxing and emotionally draining. So I would say, first of all, like cater it to what your strengths are. Uh, and then my, the second, my second answer, which is, I guess more of what the, the, this, this person was trying to, to get at. I think in my opinion that the best forms of activism are the ones where you can make, uh, like connections with the person that you are trying to advocate with, where it can be personalized to that person, if at all possible, that you're talking with, um, where you can have these like in-depth conversations and learn about them and their and let them talk and tell you about what their lifestyle is so that you can then, you know, cater your responses to them as an individual. I think, um, and, and, you know, I think we've also discussed research that backs this is that you're going to be most, like effective when you can when you can like make these connections with people especially if if you have common connections with them so finding like common ground uh with with the people that you're trying to advocate with i think that that is going to be the best form of activism in my opinion yes definitely i think right along with what you said paul i think the best form of activism is one that you can repeatedly engage in and not feel burnt out in doing. And like you said, that is going to just really depend on who you are as a person and what you like to do. That being said, I do think it's important to examine the activism that we do and make sure that it's not just something that makes us feel good. We've talked about that in terms of certain types of protesting or things where you're sort of yelling at the evildoers and it makes you feel good. It's very cathartic, but it's not necessarily the most impactful form of mm-hmm. activism. So, I, you know, so that's kind of my caveat to do what you think you do best uh, and what works best for you. And you feel like you can continue to do because doing a little bit of activism every day is going to be better than doing some big activism, 
you know, once or twice a year and you just get burnt out and there's like all this risk involved and um, emotional fallout or whatever it might be. So, yeah, it's just I'm sorry that we can't give you a specific you must do this thing. But I think that it really is a, a personalized thing. Well, all right. It's time for the news. Time for the news. Paul, what do we got on the docket? So uh, first article is coming to us from VegNews.com. Vegan Girl Power Conference launches in Sydney. The Plant Powered Women Leadership Conference Series, or the PPWLC, will begin in Sydney, Australia on March 17th. The one-day event is organized by author Kathy Devine and will feature several prominent vegan women, including former CEO of the Vegan Society UK, Jasmine Debu, journalist Katrina Fox, psychologist Claire Mann, and nutritionist Robin Chutner, who wish to inspire young, compassionate female leaders. There are so many talented, intelligent vegan women in the world, but they are not always given the opportunity to speak, Devine said. So I've created this series of events that say to these women, this is your stage, this is your moment in the spotlight, your views, your visions are important, and they are much needed. Speak and be heard. So, Andy, I don't know if there's a super a lot to say about this, but I think it is, it is, this will be maybe a nice difference from a lot of the the conferences and stuff that we've attended where... They are they the, like the panels and the speakers do tend to be male dominated. So I, I I don't know. Just wanted to include this. Think that it's a pretty good thing that's happening. I'd say. Yeah, I would say it's a shame that it needs to be a thing. You know, given how many women make up this movement and how they're the majority of people within this movement, it sucks that like a space needs to get carved out when that space should already be there. But definitely, props to Kathy Devine for for putting this on and and cool to see Katrina Fox in there. She interviewed me on her podcast. She actually recently became a contributor to Forbes.com and she's going to be posting like vegan articles at Forbes.com, which is awesome. So she's making some really big oh. moves. So should be a should be a really cool conference, and I, I hope some of our Australian listeners get to go and, and report back and let us know what their experience was. Do you think there's going to be backlash about this in the vegan community? As uh, as as I imagine, probably. <laughs> yeah, because I imagine this type of event would have backlash in like any other situation, like in any other types of organizations in our current society. Uh, so I'm wondering if there is going to be backlash from the vegans yeah we're waiting for the outrage to come but for now i think we could say hey this is a really cool thing yeah yeah should we move on into our second piece of news andy let's do it this one definitely kind of just plays off of so many stories we've been reporting recently about various smaller vegan companies getting acquired by non-vegan brands and all of the conversation that surrounds that. Of course, people can go listen to our most recent episode uh, about Dea that uh, focuses all on this. But Paul, hit us hit us with the newest in this long line of big corporations getting involved in the, the vegan or plant-based sector. This one's also from Veg News titled, Nestle Eager to Expand into Plant-Based Sector. Major food corporation Nestle revealed during its recent investor summit in London that it would increase its revenue by capitalizing on opportunities within the plant-based sector. Patrice Pula, Nestle's executive vice president of strategic business units marketing and sales, explained to shareholders that consumers who identify themselves as flexitarians, vegetarian, and vegan are on the rise. We want to bring a vegetarian offer to consumers in Europe and the Western world, Bula said, and ride on this trend that we believe is here to stay and amplify. In January, Nestle offered four flavors of vegan almond and coconut milk-based coffee creamers to its Coffee Mate Natural Bliss product line. It's a mouthful. 
And more recently, the international conglomerate acquired meatless company Sweet Earth, a move Nestle USA CEO Paul Grimwood said would give Nestle a leading position in this emerging space. Paul Grimwood. It's great. It's a great name. Great name for someone working at an evil corporation. <laughs> yeah. So, so this was this was put forward on Veg News. It's like surface level. It seems like it's a good thing, right? It's like, oh, cool. Like these giant companies are seeing the trend that's going on, so they're switching to that, which you know, like is what we would expect to happen, or what we would hope to expect to happen as veganism becomes more popular. Um, however, as we have talked about on the show before, you know, it's like just because something is vegan or just because something's moving towards veganism still doesn't necessarily make it ethical. And Nestle is definitely guilty of being accused of human rights violations, um, specifically what I looked into, and, and there might be other ones too, but specifically when it comes to their chocolate. Interestingly, on the Nestle website, they had like a whole section that was, does Nestle use like child slave labor to harvest their cocoa? And uh, this was on the website. Does Nestle have child labor in its cocoa supply chain? No company sourcing cocoa in the Ivory Coast in Ghana can fully remove the risk of child labor in its supply chain. Nestle is no different, but we're determined to tackle the problem. We're tackling child labor in our cocoa supply chain through pioneering monitoring and remediation schemes in the Ivory Coast and Ghana, which form part of the Nestle Cocoa Plan. In October 2017, Nestle published a report laying out for the first time the important progress that we've made in tackling child labor. However, we realize that as long as child labor still exists on cocoa farms, there is more to be done. Ending child labor is a shared responsibility, and Nestle is keen to take collective action with everyone who is committed to tackling it. We strongly oppose any kind of child exploitation, and we're committed to preventing and eliminating it in our supply chain. Bullshit. <laughs> so, of course, you know, Nestle is going to come out with something. They're going to have to say something like this if they, I'm sure, kept getting pressed to, to release something about it. Um, you know, it's like, I, I sincerely hope that they are trying to do something about it. I'm skeptical that they're actually trying to do something about it. I know they've been, uh, there was a recent lawsuit that was dropped against them. And I think also Hershey about using child labor in, um, to, to harvest cocoa. But I, I don't know. I, I guess it's, it's good that they're acknowledging it. Like, is that the, f the first step is them having to actually acknowledge that it's a, it's a thing. What do you think, Andy? I guess I think they're just trying to cover their own backs. Um, I, I, Nest, it, it, you know, it's weird because when we talk about all these acquisitions that have been happening, most of them were like, "Yeah, capitalism's horrible," but I guess this is sort of a symptom of capitalistic veganism, you know. And we're just going to have yeah. to roll with the punches. But for some reason, like Nestle feels like a particularly egregious brand of evil, like. Like, mustache-twirling, <laughs> cartoonishly evil corporation. They just have the longest list of offenses and allegations against them. And uh, the chocolate is just sort of the tip of the iceberg. But obviously, everyone knows them for for their chocolate. That's synonymous with their brand. But they also do bottled water and have done some really horrible stuff with that. And I d the other day, I just Googled... <laughs> 
is Nestle evil? And I know that like <laughs> I know that Google is the the evil genie that gives you exactly what you want, but I just found so many resources after resources after resources just listing all the horrible things that they've done. Um and so it just feels like it's it's hard to get excited about this one e- even in my well, there's good and bad and everything goggles. Like it just feels like ah, fuck this. I just can't I just can't get behind them, you know? And it sucks yeah. because they are they own so many other companies like they are in in some regards they're kind of hard to avoid but yeah but it like this like doesn't make me excited the way that some of the other acquisitions that we've talked about do yeah and and actually um i just was curious if the food empowerment project who who puts out the the chocolate list i was curious if they covered this and under the food empowerment project's chocolate list it, they did not recommend Nestle, and specifically, they were talking about Haagen Dazs, who now has a vegan ice cream. Um, so, I, I trust I trust their work, and so I will continue to not purchase that Haagen Dazs ice cream with the chocolate in it. Yeah. And also, Andy, when you said when you're talking about the the, the mustache twirling CEOs, I <laughs> completely imagine that's what Paul Grimwood looks like. <laughs> Hanging out with who, what's the name of the Monopoly guy? It's like Uncle, Uncle Moneybags Money or something yeah. like that. <laughs> the two of them hanging out now. Paul, mm-hmm. for for as evil as Nestle is, for all the human rights violations that they have committed, some might say, "Who cares what they do to humans?" Because the animals have it way worse. Is this a segue, Andy? This is a fucking segue, Paul. This is a segue <laughs> and a half, and I just thought of this. This was not premeditated. Pop in Paul Blart Mall Cop because we're jumping on a Segway. <laughs> oh man! So I don't know if he rides Segways in that movie, but I'm assuming that he does. I think that he must. Okay. Paul, Paul Blart Mall Blart. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we want to have this discussion. These are themes we've certainly touched on in the past, especially with sort of the mindsets of certain high-profile activists that we've talked about. Unfortunately, our window into this is the incredibly unfortunate and horrific act of terrorism that happened in Las Vegas uh, the other weekend, where 59 people were killed and uh, hundreds more were injured by a a gunman shooting down on a crowd at at a concert. And I mean, obviously, before we even get into this conversation, our heart goes out to all the victims and it's... You know, as as someone who has been touched by gun violence in the past, it's it's an immense tragedy, and and I just know how much pain and hurt these people are going to be going through for the rest of their lives. So definitely, our condolences to the victims, and and again, our hearts do go out to them. We've, there's been an interesting response to this in the vegan community, uh, and there was one uh, food truck owner who found themselves uh, really at the epicenter of this. And uh, I think that this incident is sort of symptomatic of larger attitudes within the animal rights circles. Um, but Paul, do you want to want to break down what this incident was for us? Sure. Uh, so we're going to use an article from WSVN.com, and it's titled Vegan Food Truck Owner Apologizes After Post About Las Vegas Meat Eaters Sparks Intense Backlash. Delinda Jensen, 60 years old, of Wilkes Bar, said she's received death threats and had to shut down her business after her post Monday night started going viral, sparking intense backlash both online and off. Jensen wrote, Yes, I am jaded. 59 meat eaters dead. How many animals will live because of this? In a second comment, she used an expletive 
to say she didn't care about, quote, carnists. Jensen, a former adjunct history professor, called her post a moment of stupidity and apologized for it in an interview with the Times leader newspaper in Wilkes Bar. Was it poorly written? Absolutely. Do I regret it? Yes. I am so sorry I wrote that, she said Thursday. Meat eaters or not, no one deserves to die like that. I wasn't celebrating the death of these people. Sounds like she was celebrating the death of those people. Yeah. Yeah. And not that this, like, I don't know. I, I think this is a this is a different, maybe a different topic to have, a different conversations to have another time. But it's like as a, she's six, and it doesn't matter. It does not matter how long someone's been vegan, and it doesn't matter, like, that, that shouldn't matter. There's no, like, oh, I'm more vegan than you are. There's nothing like that. But she, she's 60 years old, and she's been vegan. It's The article says she's been vegan for two years. It's like she was in the boat of everyone else for the last 58 years of her life. And it's, it's unfortunate to me that she couldn't have more like empathy and sympathy for other people who she's, she has spent, you know, approximately 97% of her life being, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a really good point, Paul. I mean, I, I guess I kind of did want to, because originally we had this slated to just be like a news story before this apology came out, and then the apology happened, and we're like, all right, let's let's talk about this. And I did want to sort of talk about this this notion of you know like one meat eater dead saves how many animals, and it just uh, feels like a really unproductive sentiment. And like I get it. I feel like I'm going to be saying this a lot throughout this discussion. I totally get it. I think all of us listening can probably empathize with feeling disgust at humanity or feeling hatred for the things that as humans we collectively commit. And and I, I totally get that. And I don't I don't think that there's not room for us to vent those things. So I think how we wanted to have this discussion is surrounding the idea of misanthropy in the vegan movement, because I, I do see this popping up from time to time and I'm always so bummed out when I see this. And Andy, if, if people, if people are not familiar with with misanthropy, what, what is misanthropy? Well, according to Wikipedia, who would never lie to us, misanthropy is the general hatred, dislike, distrust, or contempt of the human species or human nature. It's pretty simple. It's basically a hatred of man, a profound hatred of man, if you will. (laughs) And, and if, if, if we need a, uh, Andy, do we need a a sound clip for, of of what this sounds like in the vegan community sometimes? I think that we could go with, uh, with a sound clip. But I want to clarify something essential. I'm a misanthrope, not a racist. I hate all human beings, Palestinians and Israelis. All humans are a psychotic scourge to this planet. Whites, blacks, men, women, heterosexuals, homosexuals, Republicans, Democrats. Shit, I even hate vegans. But I remain a vegan activist because vegans cause the least amount of harm to the animals and the entire planet. Uh, you know, I kind of was hoping we'd never hear his voice again, Paul. I know. I, 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 I'm, I apologize. I, I just took him out of retirement to play that sound clip, Andy. <laughs> you just called him right up. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I think that at the heart of this comment made about the Vegas shooting is this widespread misanthropy that is within the vegan movement. 
And I get, I, I certainly am someone who is guilty. I used to say all the time, uh, humanity is a plague. And, you know, you say it, you say it when like traffic sucks, you, you know, like at the, like the smallest thing. But I think that it's generally like a really unproductive way of thinking about the world and, and about veganism. But I feel like when we, when we have this hatred of humanity, it allows us to view the death of, of humans as like a net win for the animals and it's incredibly insensitive to those that are are going through really intense trauma like if someone came up to me after my best friend was shot and killed and was like just think about how many animals that person is now saving because they're dead i'd be like fuck off you know like it's 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 I think it's just a horrible way to navigate through life aside from being incredibly insensitive you know like you were pointing out Paul most of us were not born vegan and most of us were guilty of all the things that we hate people for doing up until the last year 10 years whatever it might be and and we have to kind of think like would we be deserving of this scorn previously to to awakening to all these issues some people might say yes some people might say yes but how is that going to help people to get on the right side of history if that's how we treat them yeah and i think there's this other issue Whereas in in the clip that we just heard, I think a lot of times people deflect accusations of racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia or anything like that. People deflect those accusations by just saying, oh, no, I just don't like I don't like anybody like I don't like humans in general. And it's 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 like completely taking the blame off of any it's like taking yourself out out of any sort of accountability and it's just saying like oh nothing i do can be i can't be held accountable for anything i do because i'm i'm just being shitty to everyone which is usually not the case anyways usually the things that people are being called out for are specific forms of oppression that they then deflect off by saying no 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 this is how i treat everybody but a lot of times i i feel like that's not the case I agree. I it definitely find that the, the, like, I'm just a misanthrope. I'm not racist. Like, the excuse that hating everyone equally just means that, like, you don't have prejudice within you other than the hatred of humans. But somehow it always takes the form of, of worse hatred towards people of color, towards women, towards marginalized communities. And so it just... Again, it just seems like a mask for racism, a mask for sexism and transphobia and all of those things. Yeah, and, and it, it especially you know peeves me off when it is coming from like a white a white male, a white guy that's that's saying these things, that's saying like, oh, I hate everyone equally, because to me that's it's so it's just so ignorant of like the privileges that they are being afforded, like. And and the oppression of other people, it's just so ignorant of it. And it's it's coming from such such this position of privilege. And, and it's it doesn't affect them in the slightest by saying, oh, I hate everybody. So I'm just going to be shitty to everybody. There's no consequence to them for being shitty to everybody because things are going to keep being shitty for oppressed people. But they're not going to be oppressed. So it doesn't it doesn't matter to them if they help those people or not. It's very selfish. Yeah, I think you really hit the nail on the head there, Paul. I think that I'm sure there are exceptions to this rule, but pretty much across the board, the people that I do see espousing these views are typically white folks, um, and especially white men. And yeah, they they don't they're not going to lose anything. And you know, essentially, these people are saying like, don't bring this issue into veganism 
But the only people that have the privilege of not bringing that issue into veganism are the ones that don't deal with it in their daily life. And so it's like for a lot of people, that issue isn't it's not a choice whether to bring it in or not. That's their existence. That's their daily Mm -hmm. experience, you know, and to ask someone to kind of separate those things out and, and to condemn their their fellow you know people that are also dealing with that specific issue because they aren't maybe not on board with veganism, it seems really short sighted. It seems like a really good way to maintain veganism as like a very privileged, gated community. Yeah, and it it, it kills me. It kills me, Andy, when the people that are that are espousing these views are the ones that are getting all of the, you know, like all of the attention on social media or just at conferences or whatever. And it kills me because it's, it's just like this breeding ground of hate. And, and it just seems so counterproductive and so counterintuitive for what the vegan movement should be like. And like you said before, Andy, there is, there are places, you know, there's a place for venting, but, like the stuff that I see, it's just like, it's, it's hatred. It's not venting. It's, it's just like actual bigotry and hatred. And, um, and I just, I just, to, to kind of prepare for this, this episode, I went to the Facebook page of a, I, it pains me to say this semi-popular vegan, uh, activist who does like vocally express these views, vocally expresses, uh, not ever wanting to go to, to to fight for any other social justice issue besides veganism, uh, who expresses ideas of le- being like anti PC or saying things like, you know, like you, um, like d- d- you know, we're too sensitive about about things, and and I was just reading through like the comments, not 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 what this person said, but the comments and the comments. It's just like it it hurts me so much that it's almost like. This is the get like this is this person is providing a gathering space for these sorts of ideas and they're just going to keep kind of stewing and building on each other. Um, and I'm not going to read any of the comments because they're like they're they're terrible, but it's it's extremely misogynistic. Um, it's extremely like anti being able to be critical of other vegans. So any sort of talk against like, Hey, maybe you shouldn't say those things is kind of met with, well, like this person is doing so much for animals and, and, and we don't need to care about that other stuff. Um, and it's just, it's, it's like horrible, horrible stuff. And it, and it, it pains me because this is not, I mean, I can't, I, of course I can't say this definitively, but I'm going to anyways, Andy, like this is not the thing that's going to, make new vegans it's like if if a non-vegan goes and sees these things it's like wow these people are talking about me they're talking about someone like me they're gonna be so turned off by veganism uh it's it would be incredible to me if they ever became vegan after reading some of these terrible horrible comments about how people need to be stabbed in the head with forks and and skinned alive and and boiled alive and stuff like that it's like why is this a movement that i would ever want to join uh, if I had no interest already in really joining it, it's just going to turn me off even further. So it, it, it really breaks my heart. Yeah. And I know that the, of course the counter to that is, well, veganism is an issue of fundamental justice for animals and everyone needs to be vegan regardless of how crappy vegans are towards non-vegans or even each other. 
Um, and, and like, I, I agree with that on some level that's like people need to be vegan no matter what, but also like, you know, we're a movement of allies for animals. Like it's not about us. And I think that we need to conduct ourselves in a way that is going to be the most inclusive and welcoming in to new people that are curious about the whole thing. And, and that means not harboring these views <laughs> at all. Like not just not saying them, like not harboring these views. I think that you know, internalizing this hatred of our fellow human beings really makes it hard for us to influence them. Um, you know, obviously someone could make a really hateful blog post and maybe someone reads that and like, oh, this person is right. We are a plague on this earth and everything's horrible and I should go vegan. But I think generally speaking, uh, over over our last 100 episodes, Paul, we've we've learned so much <laughs> about how in order to influence someone or to help the, guide them to make better choices, you have to have empathy for them and their situation. And it feels like these types of attitudes, this type of contempt and just seething hatred of others is really counter to showing empathy for someone in their situation. And it's like, how do you expect to connect with someone and influence them if you hate them and they know that you hate them? It just it feels yeah. like it's taking many steps backwards. And and I know it's like we've said we've said this before, but even if you don't believe any of this stuff that we're that we're spouting out, you are probably someone that still wants as many people as possible to be vegan. And like we've just been saying, you are not going to create vegans if you are specifically attacking groups of people or you're attacking people for holding specific sorts of opinions. So like, even if you are just a total dillweed and you, you like legitimately hate certain types of people, it's like, you should still be trying to get those people vegan. If you truly want what's best for, for the animals. And I totally like Andy and I were both saying before, it's like, we get, we get, being upset about these things we can empathize how how upset people are and being really upset and being angry at how things are in the world but because like you just said andy because we are a a community of allies like it's it's our duty to do what is most effective as possible and even though it feels I'm sure it feels great to be angry about something and then have a specific target at that anger and unleash that anger on that target. I'm sure that feels phenomenal. Um, it's really like that's it's just very self gratifying and it's not, I would believe, to be super effective. Um, it's it's going to feel great, but it's not going to do great things. Yeah, that, that certainly goes back to the question, the listener question we answered earlier, that like some things are, they might feel good. It might feel good to yell at someone and, and get your aggression out, but it's going to, it's not just going to be neutral. It's going to hurt the cause in general. Yeah. And I do think it's important to find ways to get your, your anger and aggression out. Just f find either uh, constructive ways if you can somehow form them into a constructive way or just like do something else to get that aggression out that isn't related to this because it's you know it's we put so much this 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 also kills me Andy this is this uh, we put so much emphasis on being 
as a movement as a whole, we put so much emphasis on being like the loudest and the most aggressive vegan and, and who can, who can yell the loudest and who can be the angriest. And I think that that's such, it's, it's so unfortunate that that's kind of the, the standard for what a good vegan advocate looks like, because I think what ends up happening is a lot of very problematic people get put to the forefront and it's like, Oh, oh, you made this this terribly angry, terribly vocal, terribly aggressive person to become like a vegan celebrity. And then they go and do something shitty. Who could have seen that coming if you gave someone that had (laughs) that has a lot of anger, a powerful position? Yeah. Um, So it just it's it's we've I I really I want to change that uh, that standard that this is what you need to be if you want to be a good advocate. And I think there are. Unfortunately, there are groups out there that are kind of capitalizing on people who feel angry and don't know what the outlet is. They're upset and they don't know how to get that out. And there are groups that capitalize on that emotion and they say, here, here's this thing that is going to feel really, really good for you. And you're doing you're going to be doing so much for the animals if you if you do this, if you go out and yell at people at Chipotle and uh, and it's 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 just like it I, I get it i get why i get why that feels good but we need to be better as a whole vegan community and we need to learn that there are other ways of venting our aggressions or there are more constructive ways to kind of funnel our aggressions that are actually going to be more effective now paul what about people who say that having this kind of attitude and view of humanity is just being realistic and just sort of being very practical because, you know, significantly more animals are killed than humans are killed. Well, again, if if that's how you really want to go, then I would ask you, how how are we going to save the most amount of animals? And the answer to how we're going to save the most amount of animals is to get more vegans. And how are we going to get more vegans? It's not by assaulting people on the streets that are just going about their business, you know? Yeah, it's certainly not by <laughs> celebrating the unfortunate death of people. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I just think I think there's like a there's a disconnect between what's going to be effective and what feels effective. Yeah, I think that for a lot of people myself included it it takes us a while to realize that there's a difference between those two things. You know, we've we've kind of alluded to certain people or certain groups that that hold these sorts of views, but I don't know. Maybe you're still thinking that this isn't a rampant opinion in the vegan community. But Andy, you have uh, shared with me. Unfortunately, I'm I'm so upset about this. Uh, you have shared with me a kind of uh, what would you call this a credo. Some might call it a declaration. A declaration uh, that kind of takes these views that some people hold that that we've been talking about and kind of puts them out, declaration style, for people to, you know, sign underneath here if you agree with these views. Yeah, so this is um, the Non-Humans Declaration from uh, Non-Humans First. 
and I guess the name kind of says it all, but I'm, we're going to read some of this. We're going to paraphrase some of this and then talk about it a little bit. So I feel like this is kind of the ultimate culmination of the misanthropy that happens within the vegan movement. Some people would defend this and say it's not a result of misanthropy and that it is not representative of that, but we can talk about that too. So uh, it begins with a little preamble. Whereas non-human animals are being oppressed and murdered by over 99% of the human population, and these humans refuse to denounce human privilege. Whereas non-human animals are in a situation of immediate emergency and global holocaust with no human crises even coming close to its scale. Whereas we recognize our role as animal rights activists as being to directly advocate for non-human animals, giving their interest a voice, as they have none in society, in human society, rather than to represent our own ideologies and interests. We seek to work under the following voluntary principles. One, no one should be excluded from participating in animal rights activities based on their views on human issues. Then goes on to say, the, the women's rights, anti-racism, etc. movements have no requirements that participants reject species oppression, nor should the animal movement demand the adherence to human rights positions while animals are still in a state of emergency. Uh, and then they do close that one out by saying every situation has exceptions to the rule. Uh, the next point is, two, tactics should prioritize non-human animals given their emergency situation and the fact non-human animals are being oppressed by the majority of humans. No tactical idea should be excluded from the discussion based on its conflict with human rights ideology. And three, we are aware and concerned about the fact that some human rights improvements within a fundamental oppressive system towards non-humans leads to increased oppression of non-human animals. For example, economic improvements leading to increases in factory farming, meat consumption, animal labs, etc. We therefore call on human beings to free their own non-human slaves before demanding their own rights. So maybe we could just kind of go through these point by point and, and talk about how we feel about them, Paul. Terrible, terrible, terrible. There we go, Andy. Just went through all three. <laughs> so, number one, no one should be excluded from participating in animal rights activities based on their views on human issues. Uh, what say you on that? So, it, I know you just want to talk about this one, but it seems like saying that goes against like what everything else is, uh, what like the other points that they've been making. It's like, Hey, everyone can participate this in this thing, but if you need help participating in this thing or if you have some other issues, we're totally not going to let you participate in this thing or we're going to we're not going to help you to participate in this thing. It kind of seems to go against it it seems contradictory to me. And I know I know what they are talking about is no one should be excluded, so real shitty people shouldn't be excluded. Like that's why they're including that like racists and and, and other forms of bigotry. Those people should not be excluded but to me i'm reading it as like oh hey no one should be excluded so if i want this i want this uh, this oppressed group to, to also participate in animal rights activities but if they ask for anything that will help them to maybe participate in these activities later on it says like we're not going to help those people out so it seems contradictory yeah that's that's an interesting point i had not thought of it that way but essentially this idea of no matter how oppressed you are, how dare you fight for your own oppression until animals are free kind of idea. Yeah. 
Um, and they, they do say at the bottom, I, we should throw this in while we're talking about it. We recognize that individual situations require different responses. These are not rules or policies. Nothing is set in stone. These are just generalized, flexible principles. Also, we do not seek to define others' participation within animal rights. These are our principles. We do not seek to force them on others, and we expect others not to force us to conform to their beliefs. The declaration is totally voluntary, and we respect opposing views, providing they are not used to exclude people from participation in animal rights activities. Um, I mean, part of this is kind of like the question would be, to bring it to its extreme, is would you accept a vegan Nazi? If someone was a Nazi but they wanted to fight for animal rights, do you think they have a place within the movement? It almost feels like that's sort of like the question that one might ask. I know that's like kind of hyperbolic, but, you know, and this is more like, well, this person doesn't think the kitchen is racist so should they be excluded from animal rights activities because of that um but it it almost seems like i i guess we want the world to be vegan that means there's gonna be shitty people that are vegan but i guess strategically speaking i'm thinking why do we need to cater to the shittiest of people first why do we need to prioritize them over all these other people instead yeah because i i feel like if we can get the not shitty people to all go vegan, then we would both be pressuring the shitty people both to be vegan and to be not shitty. And I know, I know we're using so many judgment words right now, and this is totally counter to our nonviolent communication love, <laughs> but uh, I feel like that is probably the simplest way to, to put these things right now. Um, yeah. I mean, you think about does including a, again, hyperbolic, but does including a vegan Nazi, is that going to prevent a lot of other groups from wanting to be a part of your animal rights cause? I would say yes. Yeah. Whereas, yes. say, one one oppressed group, whatever it might be, coming into the fold is not going to prevent, you know, a number of other groups from participating. Maybe they'll exclude the one Nazi from coming in, but... It seems like it's strategically speaking, it's really a bad idea to welcome in the people that are going to be the most alienating towards other groups. Yeah, and I I feel like even though the way that this is worded is trying to present itself as being all inclusive, what it's really doing is it's saying, oh, we can include people from this one extreme, so like going towards the Nazi, but. If the people from the other extreme say anything, they would use this argument to say, oh, well, now you're trying to exclude those other people. And and so, I don't know, it just seems to me it's like one of those things that I feel like happens a lot in, you know, in non-vegan uh, circles as well, where it's like, it's this policy that is on its superficial level, it's supposed to be all-inclusive, but what it's actually doing is you know, permitting the far right and then excluding the far left type of situation. Interesting, Paul. Uh, yeah, so let's, let's move on to the second one. Tactics should prioritize non-human animals. Uh, no tactical idea should be excluded from the discussion based on its conflict with human rights ideology. This this feels like it was written about someone that was like, hey, PETA does some really shitty stuff and therefore we should stop giving them attention. Um, I, I guess when I read that, I'm just like, I feel like tactics that directly conflict with human rights ideologies, I just, I'm trying to think of a, a tactic that conflicts with human rights ideologies that is also good for animals, like ultimately. 
Like it's kind of this idea that like as long as it's about the animals, it's good. But I feel like yeah. if it conflicts with human rights, how is that going to be good for animals? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it, it, um, it's 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 kind of like a it's like a I don't know. I this scares me, Andy. This these three uh, declarations they like they scare me because the idea like saying like nothing is off limits is such like a scary thing to say. It's such a scary view to have. But animals are in a state of emergency, Paul. But but is it like I, I don't know. It's just like no tactic is off limits. So can I go around just beating up non-vegans? I mean this I think this is kind of the not that not that the Vegas shooting was a tactic for taking out meat eaters, but that the comments that were made about it were like this is a good thing and it it, it does make me go is someone going to see this? And I don't know if this is like a slippery slope argument, but it does make me think if there are enough people that are like, it's good when humans die because it saves animals. Does this lead to someone that takes this into their own hands and is like, yeah, I should start killing people because that's going to help the most animals. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I feel like that's what this, this list condones. Yeah. And then, and then is that the next thing? You know, if we think that, like, the, you know, what PETA and, like, DXC do for the image of, of veganism, and again, I don't think that our image is the be-all, end-all of veganism, of course. I think there's things we can do that, that help animals that maybe the general public doesn't love. But if, if, the, if we think it's hard to defend people yelling at someone in Whole Foods, like, how hard is it going to be to defend someone that decided they should kill people in the name of animal rights? Yeah. <sighs> and, and and certainly the government with their horrible crackdown on activism, especially people doing like undercover investigations and other types of direct action, certainly that could really be the thing that they need to like really crack down on veganism. Yeah. And and vegan advocates and and animal rights e- even worse than it already is. Yeah. No, you're right. I didn't think about that. All right. Point number three. Uh, this this one, uh, I guess, is also probably the scariest to me. Uh, we are aware and concerned about the fact that some human rights improvements within a fundamentally oppressive system towards non-humans leads to increased oppression of non-human animals. For example, economic improvements leading to factory farming, meat consumption, etc. I I feel like... I would I know nothing about who wrote this or the people that wrote this. I would guess that they're not people they're people in a relatively privileged position. Could be totally wrong yeah. on this. I could be totally wrong on this. But it's kind of weird to be like we I, I, assuming someone wrote this is like from the USA, right? Um I don't know if that's the case, but if they did and they're like people in like developing nations shouldn't continue to develop because and have a better quality of life because of these things but they're not asking themselves to give up their quality of life they're content to be in you know an area that's relatively privileged um it just it just it seems like that again is that's kind of like the racism being masked by misanthropy or 
the guise of, well, it's effective activism because we don't want better quality of life for people because that means that more animals will kill, be killed. Um, but it could also mean that better quality of life gives people more time to advocate for animals. Yeah. You know, we know that it's harder to advocate for others when you are advocating for yourself all the time. Who Who is going to agree with this that's, that's not in a privileged position? I, I'm, I'm, I would, I don't know, Paul, I'm sure there are, there are some, but it feels like this is kind of the thing that's catered to people that, that have a lot of their rights already. Yeah. And, and who is this going to attract except for people that are not in a, that are in a privileged position? Yeah. I mean, and, and what type of activism is this going to foster? and breed to me it feels like it's going to continue to foster activism that is really counterproductive like following people in the streets and yelling at them for wearing fur Mm -hmm. you know i i feel like the the idea that in this this point number three the idea that they acknowledge that there are these other issues and then they like downright say no we don't care about them is even worse than denying that there are those other forms of oppression because there are people that will just say no like people aren't oppressed everyone's just being liberal snowflakes and like there are people who will deny that these things exist but this number point three it's acknowledging it's acknowledging these things there are human like there are need there's a need for human rights improvements but we're gonna say no fuck you, you're not going to get those things until all the animals are freed. Yeah, and that and final... That's, like, that's even more insulting than, I think, being ignorant to the fact that these issues exist. Yeah, the line, we therefore call on human beings to free their own non-human slaves before demanding their own rights. It, it's It's hard to imagine who that messaging is attractive to. And, you know, I know that some people say, well, that's what the reducitarians are doing is like, they're saying you have to water down your message to reach people. I think we can reach people with a pretty strong animal rights message that doesn't say the thing that makes your life miserable daily, the systemic oppression that you face is nothing compared to animals. So therefore, unless you start to care about animals, you shouldn't care about the other things that you face, you know, or, and even once you've gone vegan, how dare you advocate for your own rights, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just it's just a bummer to me. Yeah, it's it's scary, it's upsetting, and at the bottom they had like people who have signed this declaration and there was a handful of organizations there. Yeah, yeah. Two six nine being chief among them. I know that that is um, a number that a lot of people just like will get tattooed on them because they're like, oh, this is vaguely associated with veganism. And, um, you know, a lot of people don't really realize like where a lot of these things go back to. So, yeah, I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is just really kind of frightening to me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As two people that like aren't even would not be affected necessarily by the actions of other people who are kind of following these tenets. Yeah. It's very frightening. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we've definitely said this in the show many times before. If, if you sort of look at the world and you go, animals have it worse than everyone else, and therefore I'm going to work for animals, um, 
if that's your assessment of the situation, I think that's fine. I think that, but it's still important. But I think it's still important that we make sure that the activism we do doesn't step on the necks of other um, social justice movements, of other marginalized groups. It's not like people are saying you have to be at every protest for every cause ever and you have to devote every waking second to a a myriad of issues and all of these things. Like, I think that we work best when we focus on a, a smaller number of issues. But I think that, you know, we can incorporate into our daily learning these other issues that are going on and make sure that we're not stepping on those people's toes while we're while we're working for animals as well. Well put, Andy. When you suggested that we talk about this, I was already fired up about these this exact issue. So, I'm I've got a lot of opinions on this one, Andy. I think I think uh, out of out of a lot of the vegan issues that we talk about, this is something that I think I feel most passionately about. One of the things that I feel most passionately about. Do you have other opinions? You do feel like you didn't get out? No, I don't think. I, I think I got I got most of them out. Thank you for providing me that outlet. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you had a place to vent, Paul. And we, of course, want to know what all y'all out there, all you beautiful beardos, think of this. So send us an email, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. I'm bummed, Andy, because I was listening today to the song Misanthropy Pure by Shai Hulud, and it is the most, possibly the most fitting song for this this episode but i have used that song for i think like three or four episodes ago as the outro music um it's basically a song that's saying like use your use your hatred and disgust to do something constructive and positive and and like you're you're wasting you're wasting yourself if you're just hating for the sake of hating and and you're you let the hatred consume you it's like you need to focus it to to kind of make changes and uh, it would have been very fitting. <laughs> but instead, we'll have. use something else. I'm sure there's some other Shai Halud songs we could use. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so, uh, Andy, is that all we got to say? What do, you got, what do you got coming up? Yeah, well, you know, I will not personally be there, nor will Paul. But just want to let people know that Compassion Company, my vegan clothing line, will be at the Portland Veg Fest in Portland, Oregon this coming weekend, which is October 14th and 15th, 2017. Uh, The next weekend after that, I am hitting the road. I'll be at the Texas Veggie Fair in Dallas, Texas. That's October 21st. And then also on that weekend, October 21st and 22nd, our good friends Josh and Steph, not of the hot sauce making variety, will be holding (laughs) down the Compassion Company table at the Boston Veg Food Fest in Boston, Massachusetts. October 28th, I'll be at the Central Florida Veg Fest in Orlando, Florida. And that wraps up October. I still have plenty of stuff coming up in November and December in Florida, Georgia, Connecticut, New York, and beyond. So you can find all the the information for those events at CompassionCo.com. And I hope to see some beardos there. It's been really awesome to see so many beardos at all these um, events the last couple weekends. So come by, pick up, say, hey, what's up, beardo? And pick up a button and a sticker or just one or the other. That's totally fine. Well, Paul, I wish I could say this was an uplifting conversation, but uh, I think it's a good one for us to touch on, especially given current events. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I f- could say, I don't know if there's a word for this, if there's a definition for having a hatred of misanthropy, <laughs> but I, f- I feel like we need to figure out what that word is. Um, but there's, there's one thing that I do not hate, Paul. 
And that is when you say the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. Right on this trend, damn it, car outside. <laughs> oh, can you hear that? Yeah, I can hear it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> In January, Nestle added four flavors of vegan almond and coconut milk-based coffee creamers to its Coffee Mate Natural Brill. Oh, I'm sorry, Andy. Interestingly, on their on the Nestle the. No company sourcing cocoa in the Ivory Coast in Ghana can fully remove the risk of trade. Um, they is they just have the longest list of allegations and and offenses on their. Uh, damn it. Well, according to Wikipedia, who would never lie to us, Mithanthro- Miss. <laughs> if begins. Here we go. I think that. I'm sure that there are exceptions to this rule, but but across the board, the people that I see expressing these views the most adamant. Menomena. Menomena. Do 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 do. Um, outro music. Don't bring. What am I? I know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say it well. I feel like I'm not being very articulate today. You're trying to say it good. More good. More good. There is, in fact, an official document that kind of puts this into into writing. Um, now, of course, documents are in writing. Gah! Two, tactics should prioritize... Prioritize. <laughs> I'm Irish now. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um, do you have anything else to say about that? Or can we move to the next point? Make a move to the next point. The next shitty point. <laughs> You know, it's not like everyone's saying, oh, you have to be at every single protest for every cause of other. Yeah, and. Oh, Oh my God, I had something so good to say. Um, I bet it was going to be amazing. It was going to be so good. You go ahead and think about that. I'm just going to eat this chip. <laughs> Do you have other opinions you feel like you didn't get out? Yeah, fuck everyone that does this. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Don't include that.